You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Bondzilla podcast. It is time for another Bond-related deep dive. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, yeah, it's it's time for more Bond discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this time, Sean Connery fights a tsunami. <laughs> and uh, Roger Moore fights an earthquake. Um, let's see. Daniel what? Craig fights a, a twister. Uh, or a hurricane, you know, we got to keep the stakes high. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know, Lazenby. What's like the Lazenby version of a natural disaster? Like a forest fire. I mean, there's, those are very serious, though. They are, but come on. Like, when you, when it comes to hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, and twisters... You know, I guess because... It, it's definitely the least popular of but, the... But there are some people that would call it like the most underrated... Of the four of the sure yeah maybe. so there's like that crowd that would say that like no like you're not giving enough credit to the forest fire and then everybody's like listen we live in California so I in, in no way am I diminishing the effects of forest fires which only you can uh, start only you can prevent George prevent Lance. that's what it was I thought only yeah. you can start forest fires yeah, not no that's but that's not, not true no there many are, things can start forest yeah. fires. Only you can prevent George Lazenby's. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Only you can prevent for what does that mean? In uh, the in the in the, well, in the long run. In the long run it me it essentially means that like, you know, um it's your job to like do what you can to right. um like not add to the ability of the forest. Like don't of. don't flick cigarettes into the brambles and Right, like you know, it's like yeah, like Make sure you put out your fires properly. Right. Um, make right. sure, you know, that you don't leave things around that could, you know, dry elements that could catch on right. fire. Like, obviously, there are things naturally, you know, like a lightning strikes that can, and you can't prevent those, but only you can do the things that could prevent forest fires. Like, a bear is not going to do the things to prevent forest fires. Right. He's just going to tell you that humans can. Or we just let it all burn and we build a mall over it. And then that way, we've preserved the earth. That's like a villain plot. But like in a cartoon, though. Right. Like he's like, I'm saving the earth by industrializing it. Mm-hmm. Like it's like once everything has a condominium on it, there's no forest to burn. And that way, the soil beneath our concrete uh, uh, armor yeah. is pre- is preserved. And then... This makes me think of like a villain who's just like, but like, you know, someone's like, "Well, what about the trees?" And like, we we'll if you cover all the trees, like, you know, where where will we get oxygen? And then the guy's just like, "Oh, well, I I built like an oxygen making machine, so we're gonna be fine." And yeah, it's like that's not the point, but yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, no, that because that well that would be the thing, and then he's gonna sell the oxygen. And, oh yeah, and, yeah. And then there we go. That, and that that's makes it how more, he makes money. That makes it more villainy. That yeah. is that actually is the plot of the Lorax movie. Where they're all in the because that's the whole that's you yeah know, right like, don't don't deforest Doctor Seuss story 
I speak for the trees. Yeah, and so, but in the movie version, they're like living in like town the, with no what? Did you think? Yeah, that's that's the forest Doctor Seuss story. Yeah, it's like well, you know, yeah, it's it's kind of like you know there. This is the racism Doctor. Yeah, Seuss it's story. the racism Doctor Seuss story. Then there's the obligate. There's the um petty obligatory war. Uh, yeah. Doctor Seuss story with like the the toast and the, right. and the and the and the butter and this is the spirit of Christmas Doctor yeah, Seuss story. Then there's like the Horton, you know, Horton hears a who, which is the possible like abortion story, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> a person's a person, no matter how small, Nick. And this is the random yeah cat one yeah and this one's just about a, yeah. a cat who breaks into your house this is the one <laughs> this is the one where michael myers advertises universal studios yeah. theme yeah. parks um what was i why did i why did i say that oh no because in the movie it was like he like the mayor like they he like runs the town and there's no trees so he they sell oxygen like it's water, right? So like that's like the whole thing, and you know that's kind of like ah, we don't we don't need trees, and I'm you know voiced by the uh, uh, the that one guy, the guy, the I was the coach in uh, uh, Rob Riggle. <laughs> I was the coach at Twenty One Jump Street. Like that that's uh, that's who I am, yeah. and it's kind of funny because I'm a big guy, but they anim- animated me really small, right? Ed Helms, who's also in this movie. <laughs> Danny and, DeVito, of and course. Danny DeVito is the Lorax, and hey, Zac Efron and Taylor Swift, you're in this movie too. I know a lot about the Lorax movie, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Forest Fires, no, a George Lazenby. I know more about Bolt, and then Bolt, yeah, John Travolta, Miley Cyrus. Well, it wasn't originally Miley Cyrus. Somebody, I'm, I'm sure you know some, that. Somebody, yeah, no, I know that. So somebody else. Voices the crazy gerbil or it's hamster. A, it's an animator from Disney Animation. Yeah, that's one of those roles where they're just like, "Hey, somebody in the in the crew." Well, it's just like this got a funny right. voice. Well, it's just like they do. Let the, them do it. They do the scratch voice, which for those of you who don't know what a scratch voice is, it's the voice that they, you know, the animators when they're presenting storyboards. Obviously, they don't. They're not going to get Ellen DeGeneres to play Dory in the storyboard. So usually, they'll have someone at the studio just kind of read the lines, and many times. Uh, there's a opportunity for one of those animators who does the scratch voice to just be like, "Oh yeah, he'll be good yeah. in the role." Yeah, uh, same story for the lead in Storks. Um, was it like the girl? Um, yeah. that she was. Um, I don't remember what her role was, but she she did the scratch voice, and then they and I don't think that role was actually uh cast, but then yeah. they were like, "Oh no, she's like pretty perfect, so yeah. we'll just cast her." I think Linguini is also a Pixar animator. Yeah. That happens a lot, like in in, in Pixar. Yeah. Well, too. I mean, it's an, like animators have to be naturally uh, emotive. Right. They're almost actors, like they're basically actors in and of themselves, because so much of animation is like you know basing it off kind of doing things, making your own expressions. Like if you've, you know, there's always that famous thing from uh like the making of beauty and the beast where it's like one of the animators like going around in like the cape and like you know twirling it around to make sure like he knows what the the animated or you know like famous shots of ward kimbo like uh from the 50s and 40s like panting into a mirror so he can like do pluto animation like it's this is a part of like there's a naturalness of like you have to be able to be emotive to emotively animate in some ways i do we ever talk about um like the possibility of Bond 
going animated. Do the, we? Do we? I mean, we, we talked about we've the talked series. About it, we talked about it briefly. Yeah. Um, it would just be, you. I think like that would be a really good. Uh, well, yeah. I think you could definitely. Well said. I, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Well, I think well you, done. you know, I think that's going to call it. Well, so that was it for the deep dive on on Bond. Uh, Bond and yeah. Um, no, but I think I, I I think we've talked about it briefly. But I think like you could do something with like Bond and animation. And I think I think the re- the way we talked about it before was doing it like the old Animatrix. Yeah, where- that's why I I was I, I kind of hesitated because that was going to be my instant. Like yeah. thought after, and I'm like, I swear we we may have. Yeah, it was just basically like before. you would do it where you would kind of do different animations for different bonds or different bond characters. Like that would be the best way I think to do kind of like you know alternate stories. Like I think that would actually be a really neat way. You know, that would have been like a really cool way to do something like the fiftieth or yeah. where it was like. Oh, here's like a little animation of this character from Live and Let Die. And yeah. here's a little animation. It could be Bond or it could be some side characters. Yes. That we could talk about. And Nick's not gonna let me have that because he doesn't like he he doesn't like me to have my segues, even though that's the perfect segue. I know, I mean I was gonna say one more thing. Now but... I know you were, but this is a perfect segue. I know. Are you gonna let me have it? <laughs> Are you gonna let me have it? Here it's it's the moment of truth, ladies and gentlemen. Is Nick gonna let me have the segue? I mean, I was... he won't let me have the segue. It's so funny. You will not acknowledge what I'm saying. You're not gonna let me have the segue, are you? Go ahead, do it. No, it, it's uh, ladies and gentlemen. It is killing him. I'm looking at him. He's about to explode. He can't let it go. No, I he, just he can't. what? I was, what? No, what? It's, I was gonna say something dumb. That yeah. Uh huh. I was just thinking like that's you. You, you the, can't help yourself. <laughs> just the animated. Yeah, that's how you truly bring back Baron Somedy is just the animated movie. Right. The you know, and it's and it's truly supernatural this time. Right. I mean, but I mean, I mean, listen, Into the Bondverse generally a good idea. We did talk about. We did say Into the Bondverse would be because earlier when you were talking funny. about all the all the uh, Bonds fighting natural disasters, for some reason my thought would be like the bonds as a mighty morphin power rangers team like what like they combine like voltron yeah (laughs) and like like sean's obviously like the red ranger because he's kind of the first and the natural leader but he's also kind of a dick and he has to learn not to be so much of a dick so he's definitely the the red ranger uh timothy dalton's the pink ranger because he rocks and he'll he'll definitely rock the pink uh what is it blue and then green, and then red. Yeah, there's too many. You already said red. You're well, pink. I mean, you're thinking about. The well, there's pink also ranger. like you can add like the black ranger. Yeah, but the but the the green ranger in the original series. <laughs> <Seize> yourself up. <laughs> it's the black ranger. <laughs> like, you can add colors, but like the green yeah. ranger comes later, so it's like yes, he yeah he's was, like there's five of those, so it's pink, pink, blue. Yes, pink. It, hold on, it, I got this. It's 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 red, red, black, blue, pink, yellow. Okay, so black is part of the main five. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Two, okay. two chicks. Right. Three dudes. Yeah, but we don't have any chick bonds. No. No. It can be um, Lashana Lynch, yeah. who's like, I'm like, ooh, I'm in the shadows because I'm in Bond 25. And it's like, oh, you, oh, your knees must be killing you, old and then, man. Does that make Christoph Waltz Rita Repulsa? Does it? Yeah, I suppose. He's not yeah, he's not he's not crazy. He's not crazy enough 
Yeah, but he would he would bring a different edge. More to more, it. more like more like what's his name? Jonathan Price is more of like a yeah a, a, a Rita Repulsa, and then like uh, yeah, I think. Well, well I think I, so. but I would feel like like Lord Zed's just Lord Zed, yeah. so it's just, <laughs> just Bond but fights. Lord I would Zed. say like all like the monsters she makes are like the different Bond villains and henchmen. Like she just throws them out. there. Oh my god! Like, can you imagine like an odd job type character, but like in that setting of like Power Rangers? Where he just shows up, he's like, ah! He's just throwing hats. Yeah, that's his like gimmick. He just shoots hats out of his head. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, we just got to move into the topic because my segues are never good enough. So it's just funny that we got even farther away. No, yeah. Well, we might as well indulge in it because it was such a good layup. Which apparently doesn't mean anything right. in the in this world well, anymore. You, you just, you, don't you dare! The thing, the thing don't is, you dare cut me off! No, the, here's the, I, I gave the perfect setup, but you give the segue too early. No, I don't. It I give the set. It's the, up to you to be the bigger man and just no, and, the, and, and welcome it. But the conversation, like there was still a little no, bit no, 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 into no, no, that no. conversation. There was more you had to say. And and that thing you even acknowledged at the time was not important, right? So I will have none of this. But like, like we didn't let the conversation get to the naturally of the segue. You just or you just put it out there. By whose metrics? Yours? Maybe it was natural for me, huh? What about what I want? How come I never get anything nice? Would it t- would it kill you to tell me you love me every, every once in a while? Buy me something nice. Still here, Will. <laughs> That's my that's my sign to you. Oh my god. Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, so yeah, there's other people in Bond movies other than Bond. So let, let's yeah. just let's talk about that. Right. So I was thinking like originally the concept was like the Bond allies, but kind of the general Bond supporting cast. Um, you know, definitely talk about the what I call like the main four, the ones that can you know con- continually appear or you know could appear in the next Bond movie easily. Um, and all of them are going to appear in the next Bond movie whenever that comes out. One thing I should note before we go deeper into the subject is obviously a main part of the Bond supporting cast of characters are like the Bond girls. We've already done our kind of deep dive on the Bond girls. And obviously, I think there will probably just be some discussional overlap just in terms of talking about you know characters, that how Bond interacts with characters and, and how that adds to the films. We're probably not going to go, you know, we're probably not going to repeat ourselves on on the Bond girl specifically. This is kind of more of just the general Bond supporting characters and like allies that are kind of outside of the general Bond girl designation, I would say. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so, yeah, let, 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 let's get into it because what, what what's interesting about the Bond supporting cast is, is that if you are... Obviously, if you are familiar with the franchise, uh, there there's like the core staple of like here's like the supporting cast, like here's definitely the the Mount Rushmore. Yes, uh, and, and and that is without a doubt like the clearest. So like you would say, I would say it would be like M, Money Penny, Q, and really is there like a is there like a fourth one? The only one I would definitely say it. it- is like, and we'll talk about this character. Oh, oh and uh, Felix Leiter. Because yeah. yeah. Felix is one of those things where it's like, I, they're technically speaking, like, you know, he's, he hasn't appeared in like that, like, you know, as many films as M and Money, Penny and Q are, like, they are the constants. But the thing about Felix and being part of that Mount Rushmore is Felix is a character you can easily place in any movie. Um, you know, like, he could, like, you could have put Felix in The World Is Not Enough, for example. Wait, it, is, is Felix 
even though I mean this this may not be the best uh, parallel, but in terms of like the fandom, I'm thinking just from like looking in from like the canon and the fandom yeah. point of view, is Felix the Anguirus of the Bond franchise? Only because in Felix has been in more movies. Bomb movies and Anguirus has been in Godzilla movies, but it's one of those things where if you were to ask like a Godzilla fan, Anguirus is like one of like oh that's one of Godzilla's best buds, and like yeah. they always it's it's always like a joy to see him, and he's probably been in more stuff recently because of his legacy. Even though if you go back, his appearances are fairly limited. Um, whereas I feel like as a Bond fan, and especially as a I would say as a newfound Bond fan, if you go throughout the franchise. I would say Felix is always like present, but him as like a character is not as um, uh, thorough as like let's say MQ um, or like Money Penny. Yeah. But now recently, I would feel like there's a little bit more of like, all right, that's a character that you would get like a good actor to play, and that you would want to kind of put in the the role a little bit because as a Bond fan, you're like, oh yeah, it's Felix Leiter. You exactly. gotta have him exactly. in somewhere. And like I said, like you know, I think because you know there are other characters that have appeared in multiple movies and stuff, and, and definitely other characters you know you could talk about in terms of of that. But um, and I think like we'll talk about. I think like technically, like technically, the character of Bill Tanner is appeared as like just as many. But like Felix is someone. It's like it. He, he always plays kind of a, a sizable role in those Bond movies that he's in. And again, he's, he is someone that's like when they reboot, whenever, you know, once we get no time to die out of the way and there's like the, the new Bond is on the horizon, you know, Felix could appear in those movies easily. Whereas like, you know, you can, you know, you can't, it's like, you know, Bill Tanner could be something that's put on the wayside because it's like, oh, like that's just a character that they put in the movies. Right, right. And so other other than them, but I think what what's interesting about what really solidifies MQ and Money Penny as like the, the the central like that's who you would say are like the true mm-hmm. part of the Bond squad is is, is of if anything uh, really comes down to in, Inspector where you know after all these movies there is kind of like it's funny by the end of the movie where you know all of MI six is being like shut down and you know it's kind of like this whole like oh we we can't tell anybody like this is like it can't leave this group between the three of them so the fact that i always thought was fun about that movie is that you know the final stand with, with the as i like to call the bond squad is m money penny and q and then they kind of team up to like help bond because yeah. and then it's like the fact that it, it's just kind of like an unspoken thing that like that's the most trusted group that you know mm-hmm. they can share the information but nobody else can yeah like so you know i think that it wasn't a mystery up until that point but i think specter definitely solidified like that's like the core like yeah and and i think it's it really comes down to just even you know up until like you know with with one or two exceptions for the characters of q and m you know, from Doctor No all the way until uh, uh, Die Another Day, those characters always had a presence. They were always there. They're always the constant. You know, um, and, and then Q. What? Let me. I'm trying to remember what his. So his first appearance. What it wasn't. I don't remember. So he, yeah, cause he is the character is in Doctor No as Major Boothroyd, but it's not Desmond Leland. So right, it's basically right. like. The character of, of Major Boothroyd does appear in Doctor No to give Bond his new gun, but generally speaking, the Q character, as we know him, really is more established in From Russia with Love 
when he gives him the briefcase and that kind of right, more okay, establishes the gadget. And then Goldfinger is basically like the Bond Q relationship is like that's right. when it's made. Right. Um. Because because you know Money Penny actually up until like Money Penny and Bond were the only two characters. You know, we talked about Q is basically in all of them up until you know in Step Live and Let Die. M's in all of them. I'm uh, talking about Up to Die another day before Casino Royale. Like Q's in all of them except Live and Let Die. M's in all of them except for For Your Eyes Only. And, and Money Penny was actually in every one of those movies. Her and Bond are the only two characters that appeared in every single Bond movie up until you know Money Penny didn't appear in Casino Royale. Yeah, um, two thousand six. And, and it's also fun, like especially like when you think of Q and and. Um uh, Money Penny is that, and especially with Money Penny, because Money Penny is my understanding. Like just looking at the list right here, um, during when uh, during the eras of Bond, um, like she maintains being Money, like it's the same actress playing Money Penny, but Lois Maxwell like, yeah. for, for the most part. So from yeah, so she, Lois Maxwell goes uh, Connery, Lazenby, and more, right. and then she you know steps out um, when. Uh, when more leaves and you know they're going for kind then, of the then, younger bond then for the dalton era it's uh caroline bliss yeah uh samantha bond for the brosnan movies yes and then um obviously naomi harris for yeah. uh the Craig. yeah so even between like all the the bonds like you know they're they always have the consistent you know uh money penny character and um it's always interesting with with reflecting on money penny i think too because i definitely think there are different ways because there's that you know, every every one of those characters, you know, of Q, of Money, Plenty, and of M, have sort of a general core relationship with Bond and the way they interact with Bond. Over time, obviously, as this series evolves and as the Bonds evolve and the characters evolve, there's, like, slight variations of, of what's going on. But, like, you know, it's generally speaking that, like, Money, Plenty, and Bond have that kind of pseudo-flirtatious relationship and that... that Money Penny scene always near the beginning of all the Bond movies, um, uh, or most of them, you know, is kind of an established trope. It's it's what kind of the 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 you know the innuendos and double entendres do they have between each other? And again, like you kind of have, you know, it's like I think Money Penny's the the, the Money Penny appearance. If you want to say like this is like the distinctive. Money Penny appearance is her role in From Washer with Love, which I still think is just some of the most fun that we see Lois Maxwell in the role. But it's it's kind of like again, like the character evolves where it's like, you know, I do think that some of the, some of this post From Washer with Love, some of the Connery and Lois Maxwell stuff does kind of feel a little more actually sexually charged mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, a little bit more actual flirtatious. Whereas like once you get to Lois Maxwell and more, just because of the way more plays the role it does feel a little bit more of like friends being playful with each other right right as opposed to kind of actually kind of flirting and it more so feels like they're kind of secretly best friends like they're just the kind of guys where if they do get together they just kind of hang out and shoot the shit and like are you okay that sort of thing right um and then and then when you get to like uh the the next era when you get to like caroline bliss who i i've often said uh, in the most constructive way possible, may have been uh, to um, uh, 
maybe too attractive to play <laughs> the money back. Like just because, and I and I shouldn't say that. It, it was mostly like she looked like she could have been a Bond girl. Yeah, and I I think that in a way, like it's hard. It's a hard thing to explain because when you see her, she mm-hmm. just looks like she could have been a Bond girl. Money Penny, in some ways, has to stand out from like a Bond, like a yeah. Bond girl, and especially with with the Caroline Bliss stuff. I mean, like to, to be quite honest, too, it's like. Um, the two real main money penny scenes in the Dalton era are like two that don't really. Yeah, she. Stand uh, that's out. the thing. She's not really in it that much. Where it's like I, I, I mean, again, I'm a fan of the Living Daylights, and I enjoy, you know, her her moment in that with when or in, they're in Q's lab, um, when she's she's a big fan of Barry Manilow, right? Um, but it's like that era. It's like it's definitely like not as much about you know, and I think purposefully because again, they that that that's that point, especially Living Daylights, where they're like. We're focused on the one Bond girl type of thing. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, like, as I gave, I, I joked about it and only, you know, a, a little bit more for uh, comedic effect. But, you know, I, I did get a sense of, like, as, as much as, you know, Maxwell was great as Money Penny, there was a little bit of, at, at a certain point, it's like, all right, I, I get it. Right. Like, I, I understand yeah. what they're doing. And they, they did kind of. Uh, rain back on that a little bit during the Dalton era, and then when you get to the Brosnan era, I felt like that I had enough of that, like uh, um, that break like from that relationship. Period, yeah, and the in that relationship, um, I actually think that they they brought that in in a, in a playful way that worked. Yeah, uh, those especially first... the first like two, like in the, especially in the first two movies, and a little bit in the third and. Like, and then you know, in um, Die Another Day, in, in Die Another Day, which isn't like terrible, it's just like the least interesting of them. Well, but... I mean, she has virtual sex yeah. with Bond, so yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, and, and, and part of it is like that. It's a, it's actually not a terrible joke, only mm-hmm. because like that's like, it's weird because like the movies up until that point didn't really push that element of it, mm-hmm. so it kind of almost felt like a fan servicey moment, if anything, right? Yeah. Um. Obviously, before right, it, it's kind of played as like there's some flirtation between them, but in in a way, it's like still kind of like a, you know, there was a little bit more of like the the way that Samantha Bond played it that there was more of a a tit for tat type type of yeah. thing, like that uh, she she kept Bond on on his toes with like a with a quip as well. Yeah, like at least that's yeah. how it felt. And, and and I do think that it's doesn't stand to be. It stands to be stated that you know everybody kind of discusses the M scene in in Goldeneye is kind of like the misogynist dinosaur thing, but you know that money penny scene where she's like, as far as I know, Bond, you've never had me, is like su- is just as iconic in kind of playing with the kind of you know what we think of Bond and and the Bond tropes and kind of playing with that too. And I think that that is such a distinctive money penny scene, and I think it helps to establish the Samantha Bond version of that character, right. which I think over the course of those films, and I think Tomorrow Never Dies is also a very good one for her. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I think a big thing about this character too is also how it plays off of whoever the Bond is at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So it's a little bit easier with Brosnan because one of the bigger things about Brosnan is the real likability yeah. about him and then there's nothing overtly... Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in his flirtation, there's nothing overtly like... Uh, uh, invasive about it, so it's like the, the fact that he is truly seems like a charming guy makes makes that work. Where you know some of the results before are kind of like you know could be a little bit 
uh, mixed yeah. going in, in the past. But even with Maxwell, there there was a level where it, it's kind of like, as much as I got kind of got tired by it at the end of the day, you did feel that they understood like the the relationship a little a little bit more. Like I, I just felt like toward the end of the Maxwell era, they weren't necessarily like super pushing like oh right, they yeah. could be doing it any minute now like i said like i think the more era just because of Moore's natural friendliness i think that there's i think that Moore and maxwell i think um have just great chemistry with each other and i think that's what sells the way that they you know push that relationship whereas right. i feel like again that's just like i still think that like her appearance the the money penny in of the classic money penny the one in from Russia with love i think is just the the best is just the most fun version of that character. But I do agree that I think the the most consistent time of the Lois Maxwell money penny is definitely through more. And I think, um, you know, I kind of like the, uh, as much as I, I love this, you know, I've come to love this movie very much, but like kind of, you know, um, for your eyes only, I think there's scene which, you know, references the hat throwing and kind of has, that's like a very, very fun one or, or whenever Maxwell, um, I forget which one exactly it is where it's like, you know, she kind of warns him that like, oh, M's like in a mood today, or like, you know, it's it's really serious in there. So just kind right. of buckle down. I think it might have been Freya's only or Moonraker, like right in that middle more period. But you know, that kind of again, kind of friend, great friend at work type of thing. Right. I think they really played that well in the more era. And 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 that and then that ultimately brings us to Naomi Harris's yeah. which, is, um, which is, money money penny in name only uh, almost, uh, and you know that it, that's not to her detriment. In fact, I would say that the character that they have developed with this "quote unquote" new money penny is solid. Yeah, I think that her as a money penny in the canon almost it almost speaks to the problem with, or not the problem, but one of the um, yeah, one of one of the little the the minor issues with the Craig films is this kind of like somewhat trying to be clever late in the game we're gonna embrace the bond legacy right because that was also the thing where it's like again like with casino and quantum it was very much like oh we're not gonna have those characters yeah other than them but we're not gonna have the money paying Q because you know lapon wouldn't know him at this point he's like the new bond new agent and stuff like where it's a new era then by skyfall is very much like okay we're gonna bring these characters in now what i will say about the naomi harris uh, eve money penny well, and then also to be, in just to specify something I was saying too, they also robined her. Like, yes. they, they all, like Dark Knight Rises robined her, where it was like. I forgot that he, like, until you said that, I was like, oh, yeah. I know they do. I mean, the whole time you're kind of like, and then and then you, you may have, like, heard rumors that it may be Money Penny, right. but then the whole movie it's not. And then by the end, she's like, my name's Eve, Eve Money Penny, and she sits at a desk. And to this day, I, I still feel like, why is she working at a desk now? <laughs> like, it just, like, I know it's ex- explained, but right. it's kind of like this weird, like, you introduce her as an agent, but, and then it's like, but then she gets, like, the desk job. At, I, I have a bigger comment about that, but go ahead and say what you were going to say. Well, I just think that in, in a general sense, it kind of is a natural evolution for the money penny character just in the sense that like you know the books kind of go into this a little bit more the movies have hinted the 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 original era bond you know the pre-craig bonds hinted at this a couple times but like generally speaking you know uh miss money penny is was a retired soldier retired agent of some sort Mm. um 
I know in one of the one of the movies, I think in um, for uh, You Only Live Twice, she's wearing her British Royal Navy uniform, and there there have been sort of other kind of hints that you know she had she has had a past. The books kind of go more into it, and eventually there would be spinoff books later about like her her previous adventures. So I think that they're in a sense like you know to you know to evolutionize the Money Penny character, that's like a natural way to go about it. And, you know, I think it's what can be fun, especially in Spectre. I think one of the few highlights of that movie is kind of having, like, again, a new dynamic of, of the Bond Money Penny kind of friendly relationship where, you know, like she has the guy in her apartment and the whole thing. Is right, vague right. And, yeah. And kind of a little bit more, again, quote unquote modern. But I think there's still that kind of a rep- you can build a rapport. It is kind of one of those things where it is, again, a shame that it's like coming out the end of everything. Well, I mean, for me, and it's funny, this is more of just kind of like that nerdy looking at the legacy of Money Pennies. Yeah. Um, but th- there was a level where it, it did feel a-, a little bit about this Money Penny is because it is late in the game that they they introduce her, and you there's clear writing on the wall that they're trying to modernize this character and and do a have it your cake and eat it too thing. You can definitely tell that there is a level of well, we want to bring back Money Penny, but it's modern time, so we just can't have her be a secretary who flirts with Bond. Like you, you, yeah. you just say. So even though there is some precedent with the history, there it does just feel. And I'm not saying this is bad, yeah, uh, because I ultimately like the character. But you can just feel like we're going to introduce this character as like she goes, she went on missions, and like you yeah. know, she's also like can take part of the action, but then also by the end of the movie, have her, you know, BM secretary, um, you know, which is, is a little just, um, just tracking the story, just kind of like a little like yeah. strange to follow, but it definitely feels, I do think that they kind of like settle in with that character a little bit when you get into Spectre. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a fun character, especially. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that thing that we talk about where it's like, again, the, the big reveal, you know, like we talk about the dark Knight rises. I always talk about it with like the Tyler Al Ghul twist, where it's like, it probably would have been more fun to have that character revealed earlier in some form or fashion. Um, where it's like money penny because because once you establish it again it's kind of too late where it's like oh now we get the fun bar of the character or something right like that. well i mean but it, it's it, like but it's like i don't want to get into dark knight rise but i'm saying it's like once you get in the specter and you've already established money penny now you can kind of have more fun and let her settle into the role the, the small small tangent tiny tangent it, it i think a whole conversation i i'm just thinking about this and i'm sure other people have maybe delved into this topic a little bit more cynically but i'm just kind of looking at it as like as it is it is just so fascinating to me that i think that you can track things like this with like the rise of like let's say like comic book movies and stuff because only because you know because you know we we can't lie that like when we watch comic book movies and you know there is something maybe in there for the fans and there's an easter egg like you know we're just we can be just as susceptible to it and especially in movies that otherwise are like really good and then like you get to a post-credit scene and then you're like oh my god it's Howard the Duck like you know it's like stuff like that but I do think it's really funny how that did from a certain point on a lot of these movies um more brazenly had moments like that where like when you think about it what really is the point of revealing at the end of the movie that it's Money Penny? 
other than you're going to have that little moment where fans of the movie are going to be like, ah, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, really, what purpose exactly. other than that like, is there? When you were talking about this, I, I wonder if it would have been more interesting if you kind of almost inversed it, where it was like, like, you started the movie with, like, a money penny at the desk. Like, maybe, again, still maybe, like, talk more specific, specifically about her, like, past history as an agent or something. And then at the course of the movie, like, she has to be like, well, I guess I have to return right. to, like, you know, maybe not permanently, but it's like, well, I, you know, shit's going down. I'm going to have to, like, step up my role. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would have been more interesting because, again, you establish it and then, yeah. and then you kind of... I, I, I would agree with that. Because it's you, like, again, then you establish the audience expectations of like, oh, it's the Money Penny character. And then you put them on its head where it's like, well, actually, this character has a past in the, you know, agency. And it's like, okay, well, she's like, you know, maybe not a former double O, but she's definitely been, you know, active. You, you know what, you know what another hurdle to overcome is, is the name. Like, you know, like, like Agent Money Penny. Like, right. it, it's, a, it's a little... Uh, you know, but at the same, and I think it's fine, but it's the tone and the ever in the attitude of the movies. I don't think would necessarily be open, right? Um, but I, but I think that yeah, I think Inspector, the Eve Money Penny character, kind of settles yeah. in a little bit more. Yeah, I th- and I like it. I I like her in that one because you're right. I think it comes down to like that that scene where you know he calls and right. like that she has like her boyfriend or whatever at home, and there there is kind of like I I liked it. I liked it that there was a little bit of like. In a way, kind of like yeah, like a fr- like more of a friendship, and like I would even like to see them go forward and like make it more of like a like a brother sister type thing, yeah. like that that could be fun. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely like th- that character. But yeah, I think there was a little bit of like trying to reinvent the character, but then there's also like a very late in the game trying to um, do it. Whereas when you had a character like Q, which is you know Q's Q, like he's just the tech guy like mm-hmm. there, like there's really nothing really to uh overly reinvent on, on that like you can just drop him in and you know the role is pretty much the same and there's and there's nothing even inherently you have to reinvent about it yeah well i mean I mean, to, to move on to q or did you have anything else to say about no me? no i mean i, I think we we can well, move on to q because i think the thing about q uh as a character is i think even more so than lois maxwell as money penny that like Desmond Leland's performance as Q over the course, like from his first appearance in From Rush With Love all the way until The World Is Not Enough, it, is, it really is kind of a heavier hanging on the role, I think, um, because he, he so fits into that role and he fits so many different ways in that role. I think we've talked about the evolution of the Q character over the course, but eventually, you know, at the start, it very much is the contentious, um, you know, tech guy doesn't want his tech stuff, you know, destroyed and, and Bond's kind of being all cavalier about it. And then it eventually transitions into the more the movies go on, the more that they have kind of this very buddy-buddy relationship. And in, in some ways, even more of kind of like best friends slash almost like in some ways, like especially once as Q gets older, it's kind of like a father son type. Of yeah. Thing. Or like yeah. Grant, like, and, and that's some of the best Q stuff. Oh yeah. Definitely. Well, and I think it's like also like more so the money, but you see like the Q character, especially in the Desmond Leland area has had those opportunities to have a more extensive role in a film or to have like multiple appearances. Um, like, you know, with, um, you know, Octopussy, he's kind of very involved in the, in the, in the end of that movie, 
License to Kill. He shows up in, you know, um, you know, on the mission itself and kind of helps them along, you know, has the thing in the stuff in the hotel. I hope you don't snore Q, that sort of stuff. And then you get to the Brosnan stuff where there's this, and then you, you get Q and like, you know, Q starts being in the, you know, especially in the later more into Bron, like, you know, you have Q showing up at the pyramids in, in Spy Who Loved Me and, you know, in Brazil with the bolas in, in Moonraker, like he's kind of has all the silly outfits too. And just the fun banter, uh, that he has with Moore and Brosnan, and I think like it, it really just establishes like such an iconic part of the character. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I completely agree. I mean, the 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 role itself is is pretty self explanatory. But and in those movies, it's like too. It's like you give Q a lot of fun stuff to do because you have both the gadgets that Bond uses and kind of the gag gadgets that he like has in his lab. Like, he gets to explain all of it, and, you know, and Leland would always talk about how he just had to just memorize the technical mumbo-jumbo because he didn't explain it half the time well, anyway. But, like, you get you you definitely let Q have fun. You know, it's a funny element about Q, especially in the, like, the, um, in that era, is that he, one of his constant things is like, oh, grow up, 007. Like, he's like, he's like, don't, don't treat this as a game. Like, he's like, always right. that. Meanwhile, he's making like rocket launchers out of boom boxes. And yeah. Like, so, in, in a very subtle way, it's what makes that character very endearing mm-hmm. is like, cause he's making all these mad scientist things, but he takes the work so seriously that like Bond is the one who's being like a child. Meanwhile, he's making like, exploding hats and like and, and things like Bowls that cute. yeah so i that that's that's a very fun element to me so and i and i think it, it's really like especially in when you get to like those early brosnan like movies where it kind of um the the moments there and, and probably at that point it's because time has passed and um desmond is like like you know in very like late in his life too so it's like there's a little something even more endearing about that Mm -hmm. but again i think it comes down to brosnan who more and more is like getting you know maybe not my favorite but i'm just really really warming up to like brosnan's portrayal of bond uh because of his you know him bouncing off of other actors uh just sings and I think this is another example because Brosnan is kind of like like you could tell like you could just instantly feel like oh they're friends mm-hmm. but like you know since he's Bond he's kind of like he he doesn't mind giving yeah. Q some shit like he's like he knows like driving the car around like he knows it's gonna bother him like but like oh but like we know it's we're on the same page but right it, it's it's kind of it, like it, again, it works like, yeah yeah and I, I think too it's like again like one of the most iconic Q scenes to me is his scene in, in Goldeneye and. Kind of like it. It almost really feels like that scene more than anything else. If you take into account like the gap between License to Kill mm-hmm. and Goldeneye, that really feels like we're back because it's just again, it's like they're very friendly with each other, and then the scene ending with like, "Don't touch that. That's mm-hmm. my lunch." Yeah. And it's, yeah, like it's a perfect bit of a cue scene. And and you're right. I think um, for me personally, like I think I I could go between the more in key relationship and the Brosnan key relationship. I think like, I think they're very much similar in some ways, um, especially once you get into the later half of the more era, like, you know, I think Q in Octopussy is like one of the highlights of that movie. I think, um, Dalton and Q in, um, license to kill is also really, really fun too. And again, just again, like the, 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 the joke of Q where it's like, again, he has that scene in, in license to kill where, 
he has like the radio rake and then he just tosses it aside like you know take care of the equipment my ass type of thing like it just like i think you know it's like yeah, obviously the the golden like just like everything the, the goldfinger scene between connery and q is is what establishes q as a character right um and you know and it's definitely like obviously q and connery do have good stuff together but i think really the q character is made in the more era to me and so and then what's interesting is like moving forward with that is that you have john cleese like pick up the role first right. as r and then eventually as q right because it's eventually correctly. you know that one's it's more of a continuity base where it's like he's kind of a protege yeah of q and then Obviously, Desmond Leland's untimely Which, death. Which, today, the joke would be mine, definitely, that you have this older, like, you know, this really old, like, inventor, white guy, and his protege is just another, el- not not elderly, but older, like, right. white guy. You know what yeah. I mean? So, it's just, there's, there's something a little, because, it, and that's why the transition was always a little bit odd, because it almost felt like they preemptively recast the role. And right. then they like kind of came up with an in-universe reason for it. Yeah, so. it's. I mean, it's very much like to kind of remember the review is that, um, you know, Leland kind of knew he was at the end, and he he was the one who suggested that he have some sort of protege type of character. Now, again, according to most things that we know, he w- did intend to come back for Die Another Day, which p- most likely would have been like an official retirement ceremony. So the idea that Q would be the character to actually have the retirement, you know, because like y- Money Penny, we can just kind of replace and like M, you know, just gets replaced, you know, with, with you know, no, or Bond gets just replaced. But like the fact that like the fact that there was kind of at least some semblance of a plan or like obviously wasn't enough, you know, it was uh, or too early on to really say if that would have been a case, but like just a semblance of an idea that like Q and Desmond Leland might've actually been able to ride off into the sunset of the role really speaks so highly. I think both of Desmond Leland as a performer and, and as Q as a, as a character. Yeah. And what, what what's interesting is that to me, on paper, John Cleese being a Q is not a bad idea. Like, I mean, like when you think about it, and in the in the material that he has, very Q-ish, and yeah. like you know, it works. And obviously, if you know anything about John Cleese, it's just like he would definitely be like on like the the top list of like people that you may want to get to to if you want like kind of like yeah. somebody to plug right in there. If there was like a two thousand six esque like fan cast website for like. Q in that era. Right. Like, definitely, Cleese would have been, like, had a really badly photoshopped picture. Yeah. Um, but but the issue is, and I, I don't know, I may have said this at the time, and maybe I'm just kind of recollecting it right now, not really a lot of him in, in like, those those movies. No. I mean, there's a couple good scenes, but there there's not enough in those movies. There's not a good sample size in those movies well, for him to really make his mark as a it Q. Really, because it really is, it's very much like... You know, um, he in uh, the world is not enough. He's basically just in the Q scene. Yeah. You know, it's like again because Q, Q has normally, uh, with with those few exceptions I've mentioned, has one scene. He has the one scene. Here's your gadget. Here's you know how it'll help you. Here's our plant for your payoff later. That's kind of what the Q scene is. But I feel like Le- like Leland always made those scenes feel bigger from the performance. I think the thing is that obviously. 
in the world's not enough the joke of the cue scene is the fact that r is there like Mm -hmm. that's kind of the bit that they do uh and then he kind of briefly has a moment right at the end of the movie whereas like die another day he gets the cue scene and it's just like okay because it it, it does feel like leland's performance would always kind of make those scenes bigger as i just mentioned so the fact when you just kind of place another actor in a cue scene it kind of makes you realize that i think it kind of makes you realize like how important desmond's uh aura and his kind of natural charisma for the role of Q enhance those scenes. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree. So, I mean, so there, there's really, you know, really not too much else to say about Cleese. And then, you know, after that, because, and then he was also one of the names, like, I think, because when you think about it as they moved into the Craig era, like, and like uh, Judy Dench came back as M. So, you know, there was possibly some room to, right. you know, have, you know, Cleese come back, and in retrospect, looking at it, like I think Cleese would have been fun in this environment a little bit because it wasn't like even Cleese in the previous two movies was playing like a bigger than life character. In fact, he was playing kind of very exasperated scientist yes. type character. So, in retrospect, looking back at all these movies, that may have been a fun welcome addition of energy to these Craig movies. Yeah. I, I think. Um, instead we, uh, we get Paddington, um, <laughs> uh, then ben, Wishaw comes in. Q and name only? Yeah. Oh. Nice. See, like, I, like. No, I'm this, just kidding. This, I'm, this, I've, but you I've know warmed funny, up a little bit. But this is what's funny, because this may be one of the few things that you have been way more critical of than, than, than I have. Yeah. So they, they, they bring in Ben Wishaw and, and here's the thing, Ben, Ben Wishaw fine in the role like i'm not thoroughly all that impressed with him i do think it's another example of like them trying to kind of do like the fan thing and bring in all these elements that that were that uh that are familiar i i I think much like the money penny character that that character is a little bit better utilized in specter because they like just kind of like throw them in like different scenarios um a little bit but the entire character suffers from the kind of neuterization, if that's a word, of that entire branch of Bond. Yeah, I, I, what I was going to say is, I think I've been, you know, in the past I've been very harsh on the Wishaw uh, version of the character, whereas I think it's more so the material and like, yeah, the fact that they've just kind of pushed aside the real gadgetry part of it that they've just kind of he, he's still like the tech guy he's kind of a hacker who just says they hacked us you know well, but it's the, um, here's the thing it's like what's fun about the q character is like go down to you know q, q branch and then like our q and then you'll see you know what you know what he's got for you and you're right all those scenes are so fun like i said he's the wacky scientist but his attitude doesn't really like present that he takes his job really seriously yeah and you know if anything you know bond like you know don't don't mess this up this is serious business so you're right that whole kind of like wing of the bond franchise is so big and you know they kind of uh, once again do the dark knight thing where anything that could be fun and elaborate is just like a giant warehouse somewhere with like a bunch of computer screens and then when you get to that part of it you look at q and yeah they get i'm not saying you know this was is 100 accurate but there you do have to ask the question what does he do 
Yeah. Like, really, what does he do other than, like, some code, really? Yeah. Because the gadgets he presents is a gun and a GPS tracking device, which is, like, you know, really small or whatever. And then the rest of the stuff he does, he's like, all right, let's break this code, which which he messes up anyway. But I won't... Oh, this guy falls through. And then, like, obviously, like... Inspector, like, there is kind of the fun moment where Bond steals the car and Q, like, realizes, like, that just happened. So yeah. there's obviously, like, the car stuff, too. But, again, yeah, again, it's just, like... Well, here's the thing. They, they, made, the, they made him Benji from the Mission Impossible movies where, mm-hmm. like, it's funny when you look at the with, at the franchise. And I don't... And it's not unprecedented to do this because essentially what they did is make him the tech guy. But when you really look at the franchise, Q was never the tech guy like that. Like, no. he really wasn't ultimately, like, the guy where it's like, oh, I have a piece of evidence. Let me put it through the computer. Like, you know, sometimes it would be that, but it feels because they have that, but none of, like, the the gadget fun stuff that it does feel like the character is very, is being... It's just the character is just not as interesting or fun anymore. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. It just it kind of takes away an element of what makes Q fun, and it takes away an element of what makes that Bond and Q relationship fun when they're talking about the gadgets and Bond's kind of fooling around with it. And it's like, and, and this is where I will call out the actor because here's the thing: I just mentioned Benji Simon Pegg in that role is really fun. Like you mm-hmm. know, and it bounces off of Tom Cruise in a way like it just for some reason that fits. And, you know, again, I will, you know, preface this with Ben Whishaw. I love you as Paddington. You're awesome. But, like, there's really not too much else about... Again, I'm not necessarily thrilled by the performance either. There's a little bit of, like, the the fish-out-of-water element with him in the field that's fun inspector, but... You know, it's fine. Like, I, I yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is, too. It's like, he is kind of more so been turned into, like the general like nerdy character right like he has the glasses Which and he's just, kind of uncomfortable around like but in, other in people retrospect looking at it is just not as interesting like you can no. see what they were or doing like, with again, like, like this is what we're gonna do because it reeks of like he's the gadget kids he's the gadget guy so of course he's gonna be like the young guy compared to Bonds rough and tumble, like you know, well, salt of the earth ways. <laughs> and and don't forget, it's also Skyfall where he's introduced, which you know doubles down to like Bonds, like an old piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Like and it's so, like, it's this, like is, this is a world of keyboards and and laptops. Bond, like yeah, there no there are no exploding pens here. Yeah, Bond. yeah. It's like Ugh. yeah, it's like if that dude, you're the innovator. You make the exploding pens. Exactly. This is your job. <laughs> like if anything, mm-hmm. he hasn't had exploding pens. We're gonna, That's what you can bring to the table. We're gonna meet in the museum and. Look at this painting. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's it's tough because there's nothing technically wrong with the character. It's just a reinvention that yeah. is super bland. Yeah, and and just like again, what we talked about is just not as successful as like other reinventions of our other core Bond. Team. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, like overall, the Q role I would say is one of the more bigger staples to me because I think Money Pennies, obviously, we said has been around just as long. But Q, for some reason, because I think he's so attached to the gadgets, for me, if I had to think of what's the next Bond care, honestly, for me, if, what's the next Bond care you, you think after Bond? And for me, it was always Q. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, because of the gadgets. And right. like, you know, he, he has. Yeah. And, and, I, and it's just, again, like, I, I think it really is like Desmond Leland just put such a stamp on those scenes that 
all their scenes are memorable. Because even with Money Penny, like there are the Money Penny scenes I really like, but there are also like even Lois Maxwell Money Penny scenes that are just like okay, this is just, like another one. You know, she's definitely had you know the Money Penny scenes have definitely had a clunker or two. Or it's like even like in those in the worst movies, like I said, like even is for many issues as stuff like Octopussy has. Um, it's just like the Q stuff becomes the most fun part of that movie. Uh, and I think that that's kind of really what puts Leland at such a high level uh, as like kind of a legacy Q. And like, again, such a sh- shadow to hang over the role for lack of a better term is like he made each one of those scenes memorable. Every appearance of him is just like you can pinpoint like what kind of was going on in that scene. So. Yeah, um, so moving on from that, we get into M. Yeah. And M is fun, is, is, is a fun one because M is definitely a well-deserving staple of the Bond-supporting cast. Right. But for me, personally speaking, does hold that distinction of not even really becoming that memorable until Judy Dench takes on the role. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is one of those, like, you go back and watch the movies, and it's like, M is the character who's always there, and, you know, has that role, but, like, to it was never of note to me, like, well, go, me going into the old movies, it was uh, it was strange, because to me, Judy Dench was M, mm-hmm. so going back to the old movies, yeah. it was kind of weird to well, do that, but ultimately, it's like, I, I kind of understood why, because it was kind of more of, like, the obligatory, almost, like, Commissioner Gordon-type character. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing about... There's a couple things about the Emerald, and I thought a lot about this one specifically because I feel like the the I feel like with Money Penny and Q, I kind of had my my thoughts on those characters just because, you know, again, they're just so memorable in their own ways. Whereas like M, you know, it's interesting because M is you know especially in that original era with the original two M's is very much the main point of the character is the exposition of just like. Here's what's going on. Here's your potential villain, or here's your villain. Here's your mission. Go and do it. Like that's the general way in which the the M character has been portrayed. Um, and I think there are some, you know, and just like with Q and, and uh, sometimes in Money Penny, they do have kind of a larger role here and there. Which uh, I think when the key, when the original M character is at its best is when he's portrayed as someone who's going to go bat to bat for Bond. Now, I know we've joked about in the past that, like, M hates Bond. Right. And I think that's still, like, honestly, like, an element of the character in that, obviously, 007 is someone who gets himself in a lot of trouble. But he's also someone that is going to likely get the job done. So as much frustration as Bond can cause, M's the one who's like, just keep going out there because I know what you're going to do. I, I kind of think back to actually... Moonraker, which is the last appearance of the original M, where they have the whole sequence where Bond thinks he's found the 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 main clue, you know, that's going to crack open to the case and kind of Im- implicate Drax in the the Venice uh, glass factory. And obviously, when he gets there with M and everybody, um, you know, obviously it's all been changed and all been rearranged, and like you know, Bond's like kind of in a, in deep trouble. You know, Minister of Defense was there and everything. And then they leave, and then M basically is like, "Listen, go to Brazil. We got a, you know, we got kind of a tip. This is off the record. I didn't tell you to go to Brazil. 
they go to Brazil. That right. type of thing. Right. Um, or, you know, like, I kind of think of that's kind of the best version of that M. Or, like, um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service where, like, you know, Bond's like, I'm going to turn in my resignation and M kind of ignores it type of thing. And it's kind of like, well, he doesn't want Double Seven to leave. Like, he's kind of not taking it seriously. But it's also, like, there's an element of, like, well, he's he goes out there and gets shit done. So let him do his thing. Um, and to me, you know, I kind of, it's interesting because I, for my vision of M, I kind of go between, um, I think Dench is definitely the most definitive because she gets of that core crew. She gets the deepest reinvention, but I do kind of still stick of the, like of that original era M, I still do stick my uh my flag into the second m uh robert brown mostly for his two appearances in the dalton movies uh i kind of really like how dalton and m kind of portray each other and then kind of again you know kind of treating 007 with the rough decisions were in like living daylights robert brown having to be like well you know we we just rescued this you know um this guy and he's telling us pushkin is kind of doing all this shit and it's like i kind of know he's not but all the evidence is there kind of again bond kind of figured this out type of thing um and then in license to kill obviously kind of the whole like taking away his 007 number but kind of almost in like a like again kind of like a dude what the hell are you doing like i've gone to bat for you before but like this this is out of our jurisdiction you shouldn't be doing this type of thing so i i i kind of i I mean i definitely agree and kind of get we're coming with 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 judy dench and i think it's obviously the the character gets reinvented and you know, and lasts for so long that it's almost impossible now not to think of that as. as well, a- I mean, everything about Judy Dench's M is just great. I, I think the way that she performs it is way more powerful and memorable than most of the other uh, roles in which it's played. Um, it, it strikes me as not, and and this could be the framing of the movie too, where it, it strikes me as not as obligatory of a role uh, of um, of or a perfunctory role as like. Yeah, it has been in the past, um, and you know, and and there's just a level of like, you know, it's not only like you know a female character, but it's like this kind of like tough, cold, um, maternal like character, right. like you know that like kind of like over oversees everything, and you know, just the fact that it's Judy Dench just brings a history into like, oh, well, you know, what's her deal, and like, what's the deal of MI? Because it, it in many ways it almost for me gave MI six the organization a lot of more personality in the same way that like, you know, Nick Fury brings like, you know, kind of is like the face of shield in like the Marvel movies. Like, you know, so whatever Nick Fury is kind of like is an extension of what, you know, shield is itself. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt that way about like Judy Dench too. So like everything just from the, um, the surface uh, level elements to the actual portrayal and how she performed it, uh, was just, so effective for me to the point that like I still to this day always feel that Ray Fiennes in some ways is for lack of a better term like a step down for me and and it's only because I feel like the the M that that they ultimately replaced her with I like because it's Ray Fiennes you know what I mean like I feel like if it was some actor I didn't know and kind of played it the same exact way that Ray Fiennes is playing it I would kind of be like, oh, that's like not as interesting because I don't find there to be right. anything inherently more interesting about this M. I like certain elements like, oh, clearly like this is a 
uh, kind of in more in the vein of like, like, oh, Bon, like, uh, don't do this while I'm turning the other way. Like, it's like, you know, he's kind of like that and we'll always like look out, look out for him. Right. Kind of that was the talk about that kind of interpretation of, yeah. of, of M. And yeah, I think, but I also think that like a lot of Judy Dench's legacy is, is really beholden to the fact that Martin Campbell really liked her and really wanted her. Because again, it's like there is an alternate universe where she does those four Brosnans and then another director takes on Casino Royale and just like, okay, we're going clean sweep here. You know, where it's like, I think, you know, and, and even Campbell was like, you know, continuity and fans be damned. I want Judy Dench to be M and I don't care who gets mad at me or, or what kind of confusion this causes. She's my M and that's all I'm saying about it. And I think that, you know, again, for all like the, the, the lack of personality that we've said that the Craig movies can have at points. I think Dench is the one that really brings the most personality. I think that, I think that's what it is to the, to the role. And it's like, even like her scenes with Craig in all three of her appearances, I think are to me when Craig like lights up to most as a character. Uh, And I think that, you know, it can, would have been very easy for them to just go back and go, you know, another director takes, you know, kind of, Oh, we're going to go back to a more classical, kind of M and, and kind of a more antagonistic relationship. And I think like, yes, they do kind of have this kind of tense relationship at points within the Craig era. But I think again, Dench and Craig have enough fun with their own discussions to kind of ha- make that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we circle back around to Felix? Cause I think we kind of like, like, uh, well, we, like we, went like kind of more quickly went over him. Yeah. Um, this, so Felix is an interesting one. Um, so obviously there have been more Felixes than any of these other roles. And obviously infamously, um, you know, in once no time to die comes out, um, which, the, is, which is a detriment to the character. Like, you know, it's kind of like yeah. a little bit too, like it the really, roles are a little bit mi- minimal, which is fine. But the fact that, it doesn't have the strength of like being portrayed by the same person. Consistency. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it very much is like, and I think it's also because you have so many different interpretations of, um, um, of Felix, because when you go back to Dr. No, that first appearance of Felix is still, still one of the best where it's just like the cool as hell looking sunglass wearing younger American dude, who introduces him to feel it, or introduces himself to Bond kind of feels like kind of general badass American type of deal, but they're still very friendly with each other. Um, but then, you know, that's Jack Lord and he wants more money for Goldfinger and he, they don't want to give it to him. So then they replace him with a, an older actor, you know, and kind of change the character of Felix where it's like now it was kind of the hotshot young American who like kind of had this kind of budding relationship with Bond to being like, now he's the old friend who's giving Bond tips. And not that, I mean, the Goldfinger Felix is also very fun. I think it's right after that with the Thunderball Felix and the Diamonds Are Forever Felix that it really kind of starts to get into like, oh, this this guy could be just anybody. Right. You know, I, I right. think that's really the case. And I think like, obviously, like I've come to enjoy Hedison's two performances as Felix because he's in Live and Let Die. They take the very long break. Um, we get uh, Christian Shepard in 
um, it's a lost reference for you folks, uh, in the living daylight too is fine. I mean, I think it's kind of a goofy Felix in some ways because it's very, a very eighties Felix in the living daylights, but I kind of almost like that for that reason. But then you get Hedison in license to kill, which is obviously Felix's biggest performance, uh, and biggest role in the movie and, and being kind of, I think Hedison of those other Felixes, uh, really does portray the friendship with Bond the most. Because obviously in Lice is a Kill, it's a main focus of the movie is their relationship and, and their kind of their their deep friendship for each other. So when Felix, you know, Felix has that tragedy befall him, it kind of sells Bond needing to go out out and, and avenge him. Uh, but even in, in in Live and Let Die, I think that they kind of more and and, and uh, Hedison do have kind of a fun friendship kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is kind of like you just had kind of a you know, and it's also like Felix is a character that had a very lengthy gap. I mean, he's very present in the Connery films. I mean, uh, it's really for Connery the only two films that Felix doesn't appear in are From Russia with Love and uh, uh, You Only Live Twice. More only gets one Felix movie. It's in both of Dalton's, and then obviously, uh, with Brosnan again, it was going to be a Dalton sequel. So they're like, "Well, Felix is out because he, you know, got his got his arm and leg like chewed up by a mm-hmm. shark." So it's like, you know, so it's very much like you know the character it, it, has the character is definitely it's definitely one that's memorable. Like I know my dad, you know, who's, who's the one that's Bond. My dad will be someone who mentions Felix, right? Like even. You know, but we're it, talking it, about Bond, but, but it's like, but it's just, it's funny. also, a character, yeah, you can just pull out. You don't really need the character. It, it's funny for a character who is a reoccurring and has, in some, in many ways, earned their place in the franchise, just so little impact in comparison to many of the other characters. Yeah. Um, like, so for me, like, the only one that is worth mentioning is the Jeffrey Wright version right. at this moment. Um, and what I like about this version of Felix is that, because, you're right, like, Felix is, is just kind of, like, ultimately, like, that American representative and kind of, like, another, like, agent in the field that, like, helps Bond in whatever way that the plot ultimately needs. Right, or it's like, and we'll, I think we'll talk about this briefly, but, like, you know, obviously other movies have, like, you know, a local agent or, a like, a, a you know, like, again, a tiger to knock. So Felix kind of plays that role, especially in ones that take place more centralized in America, which is why you see him in stuff like, you know... uh you know, in Goldfinger, which is, you know, based in, um, you know, starts in Miami. And uh, you see him in Live and Let Die all around, like, New York and and, and stuff like that. So right. uh, you get to see kind of that side of Felix. But but Jeffrey Wright, as you were saying, um, I think especially in Casino, definitely puts that mark. And, and I think you had more more to say about that. Well, what, what I like about Jeffrey Wright's version of Felix is that, well, first of all, Jeffrey Wright is awesome, but... What I like about it is that it it does distinguish, like, kind of a different type of spy in the game. And what I like about that, it kind of like build, like, broadens the world a little bit more in terms. And what I mean by that, though, is like, because we know how Bond acts. Bond's like suave, secret agent man, like yeah. going around, like killing people and everything. And you know, it, it's funny because Felix, in many ways, like, kind of has that more of that American. CIA operative like uh you know gets out of, not to, not to say he's not capable of like the violence and every, anything but you know Casino Royale kind of uh um 
hints that like most of the trouble is coming is you know coming out of his pockets like that's like how like like america fights the yeah. battle it's like oh they just they just throw money at it and then like oh he's like the informant and they present it in a way where like he's cool because he's got like a lot of these like maybe like cia type connections and stuff mm-hmm. so uh there's like a, a suaveness like he he makes being like the guy at the bar like he he just kind of has that always in the right place at the right time and will yeah get wherever he needs and i and i get even a little bit just visually sense of that um in uh this upcoming movie too right and, it, and i mean it's a big deal because like you know uh right had tied hedison for playing felix twice and now when no time to die eventually does release he'll be the first t- three time felix uh so he'll really have the most of his stamp but even even with the craigs it's like it's not even like you know we have him all the time it's like you know skyfall inspector it's just again not he's not needed and i think he is a character it's like you don't need him every movie um but there is kind of like a room i think whether i mean i i don't think it'll be no time to die just based on kind of what we know but i think even in the future there is a little bit more room to kind of really do kind of like a, a little bit more of an extensive thing which i think they the thing is like i think that was the original intention with quantum with his whole like oh like you know Americans are corrupt and we're just helping this country. And then like, again, the whole thing was like, because of the writer's strike and, and the way that that movie was made, that, that the Felix role kept getting smaller and smaller, where it's like he was supposed to be more constant presence. And I think that was like kind of that opportunity to really continually expand the character. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely room... You know, in a future Bond, to kind of have a more substantial part but, for Felix, but the but even the presentation of the character, because like I always felt that in the older movies, it was just kind of like, oh, hey, Felix, what are you doing here? Like it, it was kind of always presented that way. Yes, or like and well, it, I mean, it generally generally is. Um, where, or like yeah, I just feel like in in the, with the Jeffrey Wright version, there's a little bit more of an effort to be like, oh, like Felix is like a like a he's a piece at play, like a, a yeah. like an important piece of play. So even the way that the movie presents him, like you know, like, you know, I, they give they give him some screen time, like, in, in, in both films. Like, yeah. you know, it's not just a throwaway character. Right, right. Um, and, You know, even though, yes, like, some of it is, is for plot's sake, but I don't know. It's just the way that it's handled in no, the I new definitely, movies. No, I definitely agree. I, 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 and I think that, you know, I definitely think that Felix, when done right, can definitely very be a very important part of, of the role. Because I think, like, obviously... Outside of right, like again, I would say the three best Felix stuff is Doctor No, Goldfinger, and License to Kill, and obviously License to Kill because it really focuses more so on that relationship side of Bond and Felix and kind of the the deep friendship they they have for each other. Um, and I think right generally is kind of the best, just in terms of it's definitely been the most to do um, for a Felix. Yeah. Um, definitely within the top two of that um so um in the the time that we have left do we just want to kind of like run down a list of any other notable side characters that we think yeah because i think that the thing is is like you have kind of two other types of of side characters again outside of of the bond girls who are a consistent but you kind of have other characters that even in very smaller roles, have appeared multiple times, have crossed over throughout movies. Uh, And then you kind of have, you know, the side characters that are just for the movie itself, you know? So I think they're quickly run down those types of characters and kind of what role they've played, I think, would, you know, would be fine for us. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, go go, go ahead. Um, So I think the most notable... um, 
Well, I should say, I mentioned Bill Tanner before. Bill Tanner is kind of this other MI6 character. Um, mostly in in the, I think most notably in the Brosnan and into the Craig era, he's kind of almost been like a second in command to M is the way that the Bill Tanner character has been portrayed. Um, Cause definitely within uh, GoldenEye, he's, you know, he's a big part of the scene where they talk about the EMP and then you get, you know, Roy Kinnear into the Craig movies and kind of um, his, you know, helping out M in, in whatever way that he can. Uh, technically, obviously, he also had appearances in kind of that classic Bond as he made an uncredited appearance in uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Most specifically, he's kind of the stand-in for M in For Your Eyes Only, um, where he kind of has a more, he's, you know, kind of a more exasperated at Bond more so than M would be, which is kind of the whole kind of thing is that he's not as used to working with Bond that movie but that's a that's a character that just like he's technically had seven appearances which yeah. is even just you know for a while is like you know just behind Felix really technically he, he, he he's definitely there's there's an air of he's like the wedge Antilles of the uh of the Bond right. universe where a very side like character but is always there yeah like, it's just like yeah. especially I mean like he's definitely made his mark into kind of that modern Bond like maybe that's an insult to wedge i mean wedge yeah. did help destroy two death stars yeah. so it's like you know maybe not the wedge um, but i also think that um another kind of character within that realm um is you know the the sir frederick gray character who kind of appears at the end of the Moore era into um the beginning of the dalton era who is kind of the minister of defense who is the more really truly the more I hate Bond because he makes me deal with the the prime minister type of thing. Um, again, most specifically, most notably his work in For Your Eyes Only when like he and, and Tanner are basically teaming up to be like, Bond, you're an idiot. Um, but he's always the one, like I always think about too in like The Living Daylights where like once um, Yorgi escapes and he's just like, well, you know, the, the prime minister is in a tizzy and and like this is like a embarrassment for for the government, you know that type of character, which I think is kind of a fun. If you obviously it's not a character that's been in the film since since uh, Living Daylights, but I think it is kind of a fun version of kind of the offshoot of M, where M's gonna give Bond the benefit of the doubt because Gray has to deal with the government directly and the Prime Minister directly. He's the one who's gonna get actually get his ass chewed out for whatever bond, mistakes Bond's making. Right, right, right. So I, and I think um. I, I, I didn't uh, I don't have the actor's name right in front of me um, for Frederick Gray, but that kind of he has that perpetually angry visage that I think um, is Jeffrey Keen. Jeffrey Keen, yes. Uh, he he just has a perpetually angry face. So whenever he, especially because he's also mostly paired up with Moore, who again has kind of a generally smug attitude sometimes just like when dealing with a person like Frederick Gray, like he's going to be the one where it's like Bond knows like he's kind of in the right, but he's kind of just letting the guy like have his angry moment and kind of doing that sort of thing. So, um, but he's also someone again, technically appeared in six films, you know, uh, right around that Felix, Felix way. Uh, and the other kind of major, this person appeared in a lot of movies, um, is the, and, and kind of is a little weird because he's been portrayed, uh, you know, on, he's generally portrayed as a supporting character 
occasionally on that, you know, on the other side of Bond's life, but the general Gogol character from the end of the Moore era and the beginning of the Dalton era. I think it's, I think like that's a character to me that is, you know, surprisingly memorable because he's a character that is created for the spy who loved me to introduce Anya and kind of be in this relationship, you know, the, the, the relationship between Britain and Russia in that movie, but he tends, he ends up appearing in all, you know, all the rest of the Moore movies and the Living Daylights, much like Frederick Gray, they share all the same films together. And what I really enjoy about that dynamic is just, again, that kind of malleability with the character where, you know, in For Your Eyes Only, he is kind of the opposing force. He is the one that's also going after the ATAC system. But once you get to the end of the movie, when Bond essentially destroys it, you know, it's not like, he's just like, that's life. Like, and it's a kind of, he's had that established. It, it, it's a, it's a fun reoccurring character, especially like when, when you bring in that once again, what I like about it is that it builds the world a little bit. It makes it feel yeah. a little bit bigger and, and, and they have fun with it. Like, yeah. you know, it, cause you could get more, uh, you know, drama and conflict out of it, but it, you know, it's kind of fun that like you know you're including that element of right. this conflict in a fun way. And I think what's also interesting is again because his last appearance is in the Living Daylights, where he's revealed at the end to have moved into kind of the foreign affairs office and helps uh, the Bond girl like you know be able to travel the world. But the, again, the original intention for the movie was that that the General Pushkin character that's played by John Reese Davies was going to be Gogol, and that's why Bond was going to have this kind of big well, Gogol wouldn't do this because I, I know the man personally. And it's just unfortunate that um, Walter Coltell, who played the character, was just too sick at the time to really put on a, a larger performance. But I think it also speaks to the fun that you could have with that character is that it is a character you've established over these films and that if you had put him into that, like where Pushkin is in the movie, it would have kind of made sense and, and would have kind of tied you emotionally because I think... The, the films previously and, and those more films do establish the character as enjoyable and, and fun to watch and, and, and fun to kind of have Bond be banter off of. Yeah, I, I agree. He had, Go, Gogol was going to be one of the characters that, that, that I mentioned. Um, one, one of like kind of like two of like the big um, characters that like stand out to me as like these are like some fun notable side characters mm-hmm. um or at least memorable ones for me um w- one of them is Jack Wade yeah um no you're I know I know you're a fan yeah I mean it, it's mostly like it is a fun just kind of throwaway character yeah. that has appeared uh, like a couple times and right because again the, the the whole point of it was like when it was a Dalton sequel it was like well we can't have Felix anymore because he's you know basically you know lost a limb so here's like a new agent that Bond has. I to mean, deal with. listen, but it, but it just turned out fine because it was like a reboot. It, it's very, very basic level. No nuance about it. Why it's enjoyable? There's just something fun about, you know, he's the big boisterous like American who's like will come in, who brags about coming in guns blazing, has no subtlety or anything, right. and then just pairing that off against like you know Brosnan. Right. Again, it's, it's just it's, fun. It's, it's another reason of like Brosnan's inherent likability and charisma yeah. that like he, you know, he can be in he he can trade barbs with you know have some fun at expense with Jack, uh, and be annoyed, and it's like a fun dynamic. So and it works specifically, I think, for for Brosnan. I think. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, I, again, there, there's nothing. There's no rocket science behind it. I wouldn't even say it's like anything particularly novel. But I mean, there, there, I, I all those scenes, I, I always have a fun time. 
uh, watching. I also do like um, the the that um, uh, the. Um, uh, the, the 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 Russian guy um, who um, you know Brosnan sees a couple times, right? Oh, Zakovsky. Yeah, Zakovsky. Uh, I like I like that character only because I, I just do like a little bit of like that. You know, they they joke about the Cold War a little bit, and yeah. you know, while he's getting Minnie Driver to sing for him, and um, yeah. and he and he gets a moment in uh, the World Is Not Enough where he actually gets to save Bond, right? Yeah, with, with the cane that you know Bond gave him in the first place because right. he shot him. So so that's the type of like fun kind of right. like small reoccurring and character again, that I like. Again, it's kind of like the gold. Go uh, Gogol thing where it's like again it's kind of a character that is kind of a little bit more technically neutral that like within the world is not enough like you know like within like he's still like kind of on the bad side technically speaking you know um he you know in, in Goldeneye he's like kind of and now he's like a Russian mobster uh and in in the world is not enough he's kind of illicitly running this casino and. And kind of is like, you know, still having sex with women and just like, oh, I should thank you for whoever you know brought you in here. So he's still kind of on like a dark side. But oh, he's sure, also, sure, but, sure. He's, but again, it's kind of a, just a difference so that like he still is someone who, you know, doesn't mind like, you know, helping Bond because, you know, those, you know, the Cold War is kind of over. And yes, like they have a history, but... You know, it's like he's definitely willing to kind of put some information out there. And, and there's definitely just something lo- just endearing about the the likable but not evil reoccurring like low level bad guy. Like, um, like I don't know how how familiar you are with this character from the the Clone Wars series, but like Hondo. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, of course, because you know, doesn't he have a big role in the? Uh, yeah, he's like uh, the main character right, of the, right. the Millennium Falcon. So, at Galaxy's Edge. so yeah. it, it, for those of you who don't know, in Star Wars: The Clone Wars, the like the series, there's a character Hondo, and he is a bounty hunter. He's an alien bounty hunter. Um, kinda, Ona- Onaka. Yeah, uh, and he is um kind of. Like, bounty hunter, but kind of also portrayed as kind of, like, you know, captain of the pirates, like, type of, like, yeah. you know, lovable pirate, like, yeah. like type. Um, mm-hmm. And um, an- another good example of this would be, like, a Barbosa character from, yes, yeah. the, you know, a little bit more evil at the beginning, but becomes kind of, like, a likable yeah. reoccurring bad guy. But then, so, the, but the reason I say that is because as that series goes on and then they go into, like, the additional series, like Star Wars Rebels time has passed and he's just kind of like this this uh this crime lord uncle like mm-hmm. like you know he's like you know ah uh, he's still up to his old ways but like ah uh, but you just want to give him a big old hug and and like, and there's something likable about a character right like and that. eventually like he like he you know he's to the point where he, he becomes like a main character of the the star wars galaxy's edge stuff at disneyland and disney world where you know, it's like in in that scenario and in, in the canon scenario, he's officially helping the the resistance. But again, in his own kind of like yeah. smuggler, but much like Zhukovsky, you can only trust him, but so much. Exactly, you can only yes. trust him so much. So there's always something fun about that. The last character I did want to mention, and I want to mention this not as a liked character, but the, the, this is where a reoccurring character just goes wrong, uh, and that's a, a General Pepper character. Yes, yeah, uh, Ge- General Sher- Sheriff Pepper. Sh- Sheriff Pepper. Uh, General Pepper. That's funny. Uh, Sheriff Pepper. The reason I bring this up, and I know it's probably not worth it because he's only in two movies, but that's one movie too many. The first movie he was in was one movie too many, but like I get it. It was just you could just tell that there was a level of that character was so crazy and wacky. We gotta bring him back. Well, it's another one where it's like obviously he's an antagonistic force in that in Live and Let Die, and then he is like we. It definitely was like. 
I kind of had fun with the character. I liked the guy. Let's bring him to Taiwan. And you know, there is precedent for that. So the no, this is what this is why I kind of wanted to bring it up because there is some fun to be mined out of like a thorn in the side, annoying character making a returning role or being a reoccurring character. Um, like, can you think of like an, a, an example of that? Like in something else where it's like, um, here's a character who's like always like. Uh, th- this is this has been the podcast of me thinking of analogies for things like you know what like um like 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 Team Rocket or something like yeah. that yeah like Team Rocket especially like when you get into like the Pokemon movies like ne- almost never is like involved in the plot heavily but mm-hmm. because they are such a staple of the show just right. are, is always kind of like a nuisance but you know but they're fun because like their villainous ways are so entertaining. You could see there's a level of them trying to do something like that with a general pepper that his like you know his his off the wall antagonistic attitude is supposed to be fun and endearing, yeah. and it to me it just it, it it falls completely flat. So it's more so I bring it up as a lesson to watch when you want to make that move. Yes, uh, I I definitely think that and I definitely think it's definitely interesting um, too because th- this is just like the last brief point I wanted to bring up. Whereas one of the things that's very interesting, and I think um, Sheriff Pepper is an example of this, is Bond like having you know those allies out on the field is always very interesting because most of the times within that Bond movie, it's like the character that Bond is generally like bouncing off of is the Bond girl, like that's the one who's actually kind of like mm, the main character. So there, there, not that there have been a few examples of like the the Sheriff Peppers where it's like he has that scene in, you know, Man with the Golden Gun, most specifically, where they're in the car, and they're in the car chase, and it's kind of like, they're trying to do the bouncing off, and like, oh, like, he's reacting, and it's like, you're not gonna jump the bridge. I sure am, boy. Yeah, yeah. Like, that whole thing. Um, But I do think it's interesting that, like, when you do get those, those other characters outside the Bond girls that kind of are a major element of that film, or, or at least, like, play a role, it's always interesting to see just Bond have that interaction because again most of the times in these movies he's either sneaking around by himself investigating he's with the bond girl or he's bouncing off the bond villain um so i just had like a few that i just that always stood out to me of just like the one time um the one time characters um there's the first the first really major one because there's quarrel and dr no which i think is is fine for the movie but it's not like again it's kind of introducing all the bond tropes so that character really doesn't get that much of a chance to sign uh but the karen bay in from russia with love like his main contact in istanbul and kind of their kind of just little friendly banter and it's like oh come on over to the gypsy thing with me and like well, yeah have a drink. no that is fun the, when the, when they introduce those characters and it's like yeah you know, kind of bouncing off each other um i know when we originally watched the movie you thought the character was introduced too late and i understand that but uh the american commander commander carter at the end of spy who loved me that he kind of bounces off of as they're kind of doing the escape stuff i've always personally liked that character i don't really i don't remember that character yeah it's it's a very it's it's kind of like you know most memorably he's like you know he's like reacting to anya it's like you don't have to treat me like differently and he's like all, all oh yeah 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 i do okay yeah, yeah. all no, the same no, no, no. I, I think i i should and it's like i just think again it's like he's not in that movie for that much but i just kind of like you know again he's kind of the one who's kind of reacting to bond like kind of doing all the crazy things and kind of at the same time basically being like well i have to like 
you know, be this kind of leader next to Bond and and save all these guys and save the world here. And I think like he's kind of thrown in that role, so I kind of like that. Um, over the course of this podcast, I have uh, I have I've kind of had a, a little bit of a retroactive uh, love affair with the works of uh, Tolpole, uh, through uh, our reviewing of Flash Gordon and in his role in it's not it's not a bad not a bad call not a bad uh, call. in his uh for your eyes only. Um, of all these kind of side one-off characters, and, and in terms of the context, I've said it many times that the favorite of like the Bond films that I've rediscovered is Free Your Eyes Only, and one of the major parts of it is Tolpole as Milos Colombo. I think that he is a large presence in the movie. He brings his own flair. Like again, he came up with like always eating the pistachios and just kind of like his emotiveness. But he's like basically telling Bond he has big balls. Uh, and, and just kind of, you know, his relationship with the villain and kind of his role at the end. I feel like it's one of the most memorable of kind of these one-time side characters. Uh, so I thought I'd give that a shout out. And the last one that I really do like, um, again, not a huge role, but um, is Saunders, uh, his agent buddy in The Living Daylights. The one that at the beginning of the movie is kind of in control of the mission and Bond kind of almost embarrasses him by, you know, shifting it. But then at the end, like he's like you know going off books for like the first time or whatever, and and kind of realizes like oh no, Bond's like kind of a cool guy, and then obviously gets tragically killed. But just like there's a little bit of a snippet of like I'd like to see kind of a relationship like that a little bit more in like a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as obviously I think we've gotten that sort of stuff with like the Bond girl sometimes. Like we've gotten that with um, Holly Goodhead and Anya in some ways. Uh, but just like kind of like that, just like Bond is kind of breaking all the rules and then realizing like we kind of have to break the rules for for this one. I kind of like that one. Right. And I think there's other notable ones, you know, like Kincaid at the end of Skyfall and Tiger Tanaka and You Only Live Twice. Like I definitely think they're splattered, but I don't think it's like an, it's just like interesting because you don't really, it's not like a huge part when like, because again, it's just generally Bond doesn't have that type of character with him all the time. It. It's very telling kind of just like going through all of this is that despite having like a, a core strong like supporting cast and having some of these other characters, it is funny like it, it, it stood out that point that these movies ultimately do become that most of the time that Bond has to bounce off somebody is the Bond girl. Yeah. Like it is funny how much the Bond girl becomes like the co-lead. And right. It, which I mean- is something like I never – Obviously, I should have known because we've been watching these movies for so long. But it's like when you put it that way, I'm like, oh, I guess that is. You always like, take really it true. for granted because because yeah. because the Bond girl has become such a trope yeah. that you kind of think, oh, well, it's the Bond girl. Well, especially like when we talk about even in the Godzilla films, and like let's say when you get into the Hasey films um, that have the most reoccurring of characters. Yes, like it's still kind of like a smattering of characters and different relationships and everything. It's not like. Miki and one other person. Like, right. To, yeah. I mean, to the point that Miki has like varying levels of roles over that series. Right. She goes from being like, she can be a lead character or it's like literally like a cameo. Right. So it's definitely way more ensemble. And, you know, you're right. Like, you're kind of limited to, which is something I think that they, to its credit, the Craig movies and the last two movies have tried to course correct a little bit. Um, more so Inspector by giving uh, all those core characters a little bit more to do mm-hmm. in the plot because yeah. really more so than ever the craig movies seem to me like a little bit in bond but i feel like in the craig movies are the more m- movies that have most like cut back to what's going on in mi6 right yeah because the bronson movies definitely have those a little bit um yeah. especially kind of in um 
well, it's not enough specifically, especially because M is so involved in that plot. But I, I definitely think you definitely have those elements in there, right. um, uh, mostly in the in the in the Craigs. But I just think that it's like I, I think it's always fun to see those types of characters kind of pop up and, and just give someone bond someone else to kind of have a little fun time with. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, it, it, um, core core group of uh, supporting characters, and it's fun because you don't you don't I don't think you necessarily think of Bond as having like, you know, m- the, like like a lot of other franchises. You like don't Mission think. Impossible. It's like has yeah. the team like yeah. especially like the 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 four onward has really established like okay like we have kind of the team mm-hmm. now, uh, and we're adding like. Elsa here, but like here's Benji and here's uh, Ving Rhames. Right. Uh, it's just Luth- not a. F- it's always Ving Rhames with Luther. Yeah. Um, it's not a franchise you like. Bond isn't a franchise you you think you would go to for like the the cast of characters. But as we've dissected it down, we've seen like there there is quite a uh, there. Some of those staples are just as important and, as Bond. And I think like just the last point. I think it is something that's easy to take. Just like just how Bond's always with the Bond girl, and that becomes his co lead. It also is easy to take for granted, like those characters yeah um i agree and, and just because like the bond franchise is is very i mean again for for better or for worse it's so focused on bond in 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 the mission and like what bond's doing that is kind of it, you can take for granted the rest of the world that surrounds bond and the characters that surround him but you know the, those films don't happen without money penny m and q it's just like they uh, especially in that original era, they become such a part of the trope and a part of the comfortability of those films where it's like, okay, we have the Q scene uh, and we have, you know, this, that, and the other. We have the money penny flirtation. All right, here's M's with the mission. It's like they're all ingrained in the DNA. And even when they're trying to, you know, add it in in a different way with these Craig's movies, it's still kind of, there's still that DNA there. So that, you know, it's like, again, when we talk about like the reveal of money penny, like it is kind of you know ridiculous that it's left to the end of the movie, but again that moment of just like oh man we have Money Penny now sure, I, like, sure there is that moment of just like okay they're integrating Money Penny in a new way, but that DNA is kind of back right you know so I think that's- and, and for and again you get what they're doing, but you watch those first two movies and there's still a level of like you're missing you're, yeah. something without those characters exactly like I I think the thing is like I think with Casino you can kind of get away with it, but once you get to Quantum and you just you still kind of just have M and you don't have the rest but even of- when even with Casino like it's not a problem but it is it, it feels like a notable omission yes yes like it, it it feels like it's omission that like you can easily mention i mean like, the, it's not it, like you it, you forget about them you're just like oh this one they don't have money penny right you know it's like you that becomes a distinctive part of the movie it's like oh there's no cue and no money penny there comes a point and it's funny because i've not had this argument but it's an argument that i wouldn't that this is the side that i would be on because there are some people who are not as precious about like having certain elements of like a like a franchise or a fandom in there, um, which I think is fine. I think like we 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 can't be so precious about certain things at certain times. Right, right, right. But it is one of the things where you know, kind of when you think about it, like the. Some of these franchises and some of these properties and some of these icons are icons for a reason. They're so they've gone just above just being like something that you make a movie about. That whether it's justified or not, and whether it works or not, certain inclusions or omissions are going to be notable. Right. Like so, like a- if you made like let's say if somebody for some reason wanted to make a Joker movie, uh, and then like 
have me not question where Batman is for for some reason. Like if that was like an absurd question for me to ask, like how does Batman fit into your Joker movie? Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, but you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's like I was gonna say a Batman movie without Alfred, but I mean I guess that that makes it just as much sense. Yeah, but but um, but even but you know, with being less facetious, like let's say a Batman movie without a Robin, like you can do it. You don't are required to have a Robin in the movie, but there's a little bit where I'm like, okay, not having Robin or any mention of a Robin in a Batman movie is a choice. Right. Like, and well, I was even saying, like I said, like my Alfred thing, where it's like, yeah, because Robin kind of has been in and out, especially with the movie versus stuff. But oh, like, you, I mean, in my opinion, you couldn't even do a Batman movie without well, but, an Alfred. But, but like, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing too. It's just like Alfred becomes so ingrained that it's like if you took Alfred out of the equation for some reason you would feel it like as much as it's like again it's a choice and, and it you, could be good it could be it, a great choice it could but... be a great choice but it's just like that's kind of what i was kind of talking about where it's like oh it's like you 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 know you're gonna miss it right like you, you you don't even realize it until they say oh there's no alfred in this movie and then you're gonna say it's missing same thing with like you know casino with like you're not you're not gonna think about missing or how about this it's like if you for some reason wanted to do a godzilla movie but he never breathes uh like uh any sort of beam or breath weapon yeah or i mean you, you would just kind of question like you're that's like, a choice uh, yeah that's a choice that's an omission and uh, that's a little strange the point the reason i'm bringing up is one of the reasons again that comes down to the conceit and the conception of the passion behind this podcast is that bond does take that place of these franchises that have ingrained itself into our pop culture, into our psyche in such a familiar way that even if it's justified, like the fact that you could not have a cue or a money penny doesn't – you, you feel it missing mm-hmm. is something that not every – franchise you know could say yeah. you know you know what i mean and, yes. I, and i think that when when a franchise such as bond gets up to that level uh it, it's uh it's, it's it's something to think about it's something it's an interesting uh element i think huh. um cool all right well so i think that uh, come back up from our deep dive and that that does it uh, uh for for this for this week so that yeah. was fun that was fun i i definitely think this was a, a topic uh that almost exceeded my expectations in discussing it good good all right well um so that does it for bond for this month and uh as nick dropped the bomb last week of next month when we delve back into the bond world uh it is not bond it is born yes uh and uh we are finally delving into uh born identity which i'm looking forward to i did get the line wrong last month though i said i didn't i I said jesus christ it's jason Bourne. i said my god instead of jesus christ no it's yeah it's jesus christ jesus christ it's jason Jason Bourne. you know he doesn't say that in the movie though i know that that, i was so but that was i I was like that became such like the you know like the big meme about the movie there's an actual reddit called it's jason Bourne. really and the thing is that if people if someone just says jesus christ someone just responds with the oh that's awesome r slash is jason Bourne. that that's that is probably what makes that movie the more most disappointing entry in that movie yeah is because i spent all that time saying jesus christ is jason Bourne, and then he doesn't even say it in the movie they cut it up they cut up the line anyway uh, so for the rest of the month, uh, we are doing Godzilla. Godzilla this month will not necessarily have a deep dive because we are diving deep 
into some animation. So the next two episodes that you will hear for Godzilla is the Godzilla anime series, which can be seen on Netflix. So I actually suggest that these may be ones that you will want to see because they're easily accessible um, and um, may make um, the fun because we're, we're going into some crazy territory with these. So it may be to have a... It may be easier for you guys to witness it as well before we talk about it. But next week, as we talk about it, we will be doing – it's a three-parter. So for next week's episode, we are doing part one and part two of the Godzilla anime series. So that's Godzilla Planet of the Monsters and Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then we will be following that up with um, – do you know the titles of these? If you say it, I might remember it because I know you've mentioned it before. Yeah, but you kind of know yeah. like what's who's yes. involved in yes. all of these movies. Yeah, okay. you've told me about what happens in the third. Yeah. Movie. Okay. So anyway, so and then the third movie is Godzilla: The Planet Eater. Yes. Um. So that will take up the what's normally our deep dive uh, episode uh, for the end of the month. But next week we are um uh, going to be reviewing and talking about uh, parts one and two. For the, for the episode i'll be very uh intrigued it's again it's been been highly requested yeah highly requested and episode. it's finally happening it's and happening you know what i'm gonna say it right here bond deep dive we've had a lot of great suggestions for godzilla related episodes uh but if you're listening you're out there and you have any suggestions of things you might want to see on the bond side i have lots of ideas but you might have an alternate one that i have not thought of myself so Feel free to reach out to us. We don't normally plug on the uh, deep dives, but give us a tweet at at, uh, at Bondzilla007 if you have any Bond-related ideas. I definitely will uh, listen. Cool. All right. Well, with, uh, with that, uh, that's it. That's it for us, and we are done. Good night, everybody. Have a good one.